Okay, we're live again. Are you sure? Yeah, we're live this time. Okay. Um, well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast from P-Town. I'm your co-host, trying to figure out all the wiring at this desk of his. Anyhow, uh, Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Hoes and blows. Nope, that's not what we were going for. Yep. <clears throat> not at all. <sighs> well... Our uh, news correspondent uh, had a medical procedure today, so we don't have any news from him or whatever pronoun he's going by now. (laughs) You live your life the best way you can. That's right. Um, And uh, so I brought some news. Oh, no. Oh, first of all. Should we have previewed it first? Should I have previewed it? First of all, our... uh, Friend in Texas, I forgot to tell you this. Yes. She sold her Duramax diesel and bought a Yukon. Really? Yeah, I don't know what possessed her to do that. Uh, a Duramax diesel to a Yukon. Well, I mean, does she really need a big old diesel down there? Everybody needs a diesel. Well. Of course, I, maybe her husband has one. Well, and I can see why with family and stuff that she went to the Yukon. So, very nice. Good choice. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I don't have a whole lot of really great news or news, but, uh, there's a big controversy going on in college football right now because supposedly, and I don't know if it's true or not, or if it's just internet memes and stuff, but, um, Florida state, I believe it was, they they got voted out because their quarterback got hurt. Okay, well, okay, I do know that they got voted out, which I think is a bunch of crap because their record stands for itself, right? Um, but is that really why they got voted out was because their quarterback's legs snapped? Suppose that's what a lot of people are saying. There's been a lot of leg injuries lately. I mean, oh. a ton. Oh, and Trevor Lawrence, uh, he just ended up with an ankle sprain. Yeah, good grief. But, Throw uh, your helmet. Have a hissy fit. Well... Ankle sprains hurt. I've had a few. I've had 15 on one ankle. I understand the pain. You got weak ankles. I do. And unfortunately, the children have inherited them. Um, And my monkey arms. They've inherited the monkey arms, too. Yeah, you look like an orangutan. I know. Not Not counting your hairy back. (laughs) Okay. And... um, You're you're not even funny about that. Yeah, I kind of was. Uh, looking at news, well, not news, so I figured I would look at fun facts from today in history. Oh, no. So, in 1492, Columbus discovers Hispaniola. Hispaniola. Which I didn't know that was a place, I thought it was a language or something. Uh, 1791, Mozart died. Uh, Joe Wilcott beat Joe Lewis in 1947. Um, Seattle Seahawks were formed. In, in 1974. Wow. That was... Oh, why'd you skip 1973? 1973, big deal. Paul McCartney releases the band On The Run album. Okay, see. And in 1971, Venus One begins orbiting Venus. I wonder it what says was... Pioneer Venus One begins yeah. orbiting Venus. Yeah, I wonder what was orbiting Uranus. Why? Um. Well... And then looking at other things that I thought were kind of interesting. Oh, boy. So, the Guinness Book of World Records. Did you know 
that the Guinness Book of World Records was started by the people who own Guinness beer. Well, and that that's, makes sense. That's why it was called the Guinness Book of World Records. Okay. And pretty much you can have a Guinness Book of World Records for anything. Uh, absolutely. There's some for, weird stuff on there. Right. And so we were going to look at some of them. Oh, my gosh. Like the largest collection of Transformers memorabilia is 2,111 items. Holy Moses, you should see this, people. Um, what is that? The most consecutive pinky pull-ups is 36. Uh, most victory royales in Fortnite using a quad stick mouth operated joystick, oh, 509, but you're still in a wheelchair. That's okay. That was just rude. Absolutely rude. Fastest time to eat a bowl of pasta, 26.69 seconds. Kind of think it would depend on how big the bowl was. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, let's find one more here just to entertain the Wait, list. Wait, what's a ping pong guy? The largest uh, ping pong paddle was 11 feet, 7.8 inches tall, and 6 feet, 7.8 inches wide. That's dumb. That's a pretty big ping pong paddle. Well, yeah, I get it. I could look like Forrest Gump with that thing. I don't think so. It's bigger than the table. It is. It's bigger than the guy. What's Um, this guy doing? He has the uh, tallest hat at 15 feet, 9 inches. This guy has the uh, most drum beats in one minute using a drumstick prosthetic at 2,400. That's cheating. Which, yeah, that's cheating. You could just... Because he actually has three drumsticks. Look at his prosthetic. It has two, and he's got one in the other hand. So, of course, he can do more. Well, they should just hook him up to 220 instead of 110, and then he could double that number. You're a goofball. That's the largest... uh, guitar amplifier is 10 feet 0.47 inches long by 8 feet 1.24 inches tall and 4 feet 3.1 inches 8 inches wide so i'm thinking we should make our this little guy that's the smallest bull at 26.6 inches tall oh he's cute look at him i bet his wife didn't bitch at him about his beard anyhow moving right along Mm -hmm. we should start our own um we should we could have our own Guinness Book of World Records. Okay. Like the only two people recording a podcast on Tuesday, December fifth in Oregon. No. It could happen. Largest hula hoop. Wait, what's this? Shortest living horse. Uh twenty two point three six inches. Well look at her hair. Five feet seven inches. Most tricks performed by a pig in one minute, thirteen. Um, there was a death. The guy that started uh, Moody Blues, I think, died. You know who else passed away? Who? Mr. Chadwick. Oh, really? Our principal? Uh-huh. Ah. He was 92. Me and my uh, friend were just talking about that uh, when we had our Zoom call this weekend. Oh. That uh, we were ta- re- reminiscing the time that uh, we got in a fight with a kid on the playground and got sent to Mr. Chadwick's office. Yeah. Mr. Chadwick was very sweet. Mr. Hassey scared the absolute crap out of me. Yeah. Well, you spent enough time in his office. You probably were pretty not. tight friends. I was there one time. For what? I don't know. It was first grade. I don't remember what happened. It must have been bad because he showed me his paddle and I got scared and I never went back. Good grief. I learned. Um. So, tonight's your lucky night because... Oh. You get to choose. I've got two podcasts queued up, or two episodes queued up. So, 
we can either do <clears throat> the last cities on the song or we can do a idea that uh, my cousin sent to us. So it's a listener one. Well, I love the idea of doing the listener one, but... Okay, we'll do that one. We probably should just finish the song and be done. Well, I kind of want to do the other one. All right, well then why'd you ask my opinion? Why'd you tell me I got to choose? Well... You even said I get to choose, and you lied. Well, no, I didn't say... I said I kind of want to do the other one, but if you don't want to do that... No, we, it's fine. Okay. Oh. So we're doing the women of highway... Cousin? The firefighter one. We're doing the women of Highway 20. It's going to be a good one. Actually, there's another name for it, too, called the Ghosts of Highway 20. So. Um, Your cousin. The. Uh, I expected more out of him. This is kind of interesting, actually. All right. All right. Um, I was going to do this after the song, but then I figured, well, let's take a break from the song for one week and we'll do this one. Because I try to get the listener ones in, like, right when they send them. Hint, hint. If you send a listener email, yours may be next. Okay. Okay, so. Women of Highway 20. Yeah. And this guy, he's one sick bastard. Uh, oh, well, I don't want to hear about bad stuff. I don't like bad stuff. There's actually a documentary about this guy out now. And there's quite a few videos you can see about it. And the guy in question, his name was John Aykroyd. And all this stuff takes place around Highway 20. Which is which which road to where? It goes th like through Sisters and uh, Sweet Home and Lebanon oh, okay. and uh, over to Newport. Okay. Okay. Um, so this guy was raised in Sweet Home. And it, if you don't know what that is, it's a small logging town in Western Oregon. And he didn't have necessarily a troubled childhood, but he was bullied quite a bit. <clears throat> and his high school diploma even said special education on it oh no um and he was born in 1949 and after high school he ended up in the military as a mechanic to get out of being charged with felony theft but he ended up getting discharged for stealing equipment and then going awol whoops which i thought back in those days you got court-martialed and sent to leavenworth but evidently they just kick you out or something which is kind of stupid because that's what he wanted anyhow right um Anyhow, though, he ended up coming back to Oregon, and he got a job with the state highway department, and he worked along Highway 20 as a mechanic for people who were broke down, or he would go out and clear wrecks, or basically whatever they needed. So, that's enough about that turd. We don't want to give him too much glory. We'll get into him more, hear about him more on the rest of the story. So, the first lady, the first woman of Highway 20... Her name was Marlene Gabrielson, and she was 20 years old in 1977, and she had a three-month-old daughter. And her and her husband, they lived in Lebanon, and they planned to come over for the, the sister's rodeo. Hmm. So they arranged for a sitter to stay with their baby, and they headed over. And they were hanging out at the camping at the rodeo grounds and got to drinking, because that's what a lot of people do at the sister's rodeo is they camp out out there and um, drink. I knew a girl. They invited me to come over there to the sister's rodeo one time to camp out with them. And her friend was uh, had to get rushed to the ER because she was having a tubal pregnancy. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Um, anyhow, they uh, ended up getting into a fight, and she ended up wanting to go home, but she couldn't find anyone to take her. 
And eventually this guy showed up and he said he had a friend with a truck that could take her across the mountain back to her home. So she crawls into the truck with these two guys. Oh, gosh. And I'm not going to victim shame her, but this is a bad idea, number one. Um, and one of the guys, they had driven for a while, and I couldn't find out why, but one of the guys ended up getting out of the truck. And she noticed that he had to open the window and reach outside to get out. And then he rolled the window back up and shut the door, and now she was alone with Big Bad John. And she ended up falling asleep, and she was awakened by John trying to pull her out of the truck along an old logging road. And he held a knife to her throat and drug her into the woods and raped her. And when he was done with that, he said, I'm not sure what to do with you. And so she begged him to let her live because she had a young child. So he grabbed an old pair of pants out of the back of the truck because he ripped hers apart trying to get him off of her. And then they drove to Sweet Home where he stopped at his mom's house. And she waited in the truck. Um, and when he got back, she asked for his phone number so she could maybe call him and they could get together again sometime. Mm-hmm. So he gave it to her. And she finally got him to drop her off at her in-law's house uh, in Lebanon, I think. Lebanon, a sweet home. And she ran to the door, and they let her in and listened to what happened. And then they uh, took her down to uh, the police department, and the police ended up grabbing John, and they brought them both in for questioning. And the cops basically said her stories were inconsistent, and he got off scot-free. Oh, my God. And she even had physical marks on her body well, of showing, do... like, yeah, she had she had physical evidence, and they still let him off. You'll, this is kind of a theme for this thing. Oh. And she said uh, it's Hunter for years, uh, and she said she almost feels guilty for the other gals that ended up getting killed by him. She was the only one that survived. Hmm. So, the next victim was a gal from Eugene, and her name was Kay Turner. And her and her husband were camped at Camp Sherman. And it was the day before Christmas in 1978, and she wanted to go for a jog that morning, and she invited a friend to go with her. She was a pretty avid jogger. She jogged, like, two marathons and six half marathons or something like that. And her friend declined uh, going jogging with her, so she ended up taking off. And a road worker had said he saw her that morning when he was returning home from the night shift. And he also said he saw another highway worker driving through the camp uh, that morning, and guess who that was? So by 10 o'clock in the morning, she hadn't gotten back yet, so her husband went out to look for her, and he couldn't find her, so he panicked and called the police. And the police quickly got on it because uh, this was just a year after there was another couple young women who were driven over at Klein Falls State Park. <coughs> Do you remember hearing about that story? Mm-mm. That was interesting. I had heard about the story, but I didn't know it was uh, a true story. These two gals were camped at Klein Falls, and this guy drove his pickup over them and then uh, got out, whacked one of them in the head with a hatchet, and then did something to the other one, whacked her or something like that. She ended up getting away, and then he left, and she ended up getting away and crawling to a road, and these two people that uh, were driving along saw her, and they said she was so bloody the blood was dripping from her hair. And they, she told them, and they took her back to the uh, campsite, revived her friend, and both of the girls lived. Oh, gosh. And actually, one of the people that picked her up is like the uncle of a guy I work with, because I asked him about it. Oh. Yeah. He said it kind of messed him up for a while. Well, yeah. But they both end up, both those gals end up living. But anyhow, um, back 
to the K Turner. Uh, they started searching for her and they didn't have any luck. And Ackroyd was put in as a suspect early on because the other highway worker had come forward and said he saw him that morning. And after a couple weeks, the state police stopped by to question him, and he did admit to seeing her at the time. And he said that he was driving through the camp to hunt coyotes. And then they didn't really look at it anymore. They ended up focusing more on Kay's mm-hmm. husband because um, it's kind of standard procedure to look at the spouse first. And also she had been having a couple extramarital relationships. Whoops. Um, so she was knocking boots with a couple other guys and uh, that didn't happen to be her husband. And um, so he had motive too, but he also eventually got cleared. Um, so the they had trackers out there the day after Christmas looking for her, and they noticed some prints where Ackroyd said he'd saw her. And one set of prints would match her running shoes, and then there was a larger set of prints that looked like a large man. And they also found an area where it looked like there was a scuffle. And again, though, the police didn't have put much stock into this, and the trackers were told to drop it. And this this case ended up going cold for about eight months. And then in August, the gal that ran the Camp Sherman store, she saw him walk in, and she knew who he was because she had seen him in the few in the store a few times before. Um, one time she saw him fondling himself while looking at a nudie magazine that they were selling in the store. So that kind of leaves a little chunk in the old memory bank. You'd probably remember that person. Um, but he went up to the worker and he told the gal that he had found Kay's remains in the woods when he was out with his dog hunting rabbits, which seemed weird because it was unlikely to spot. Uh, it was an unlikely spot to hunt for rabbits. But he said he was in trouble because he was the last one to see her alive. So he took the cops out there, and they immediately thought it was odd because her clothes were torn as well as her corpse. Ew. Yeah. Um, so uh, they weren't sure how they would know it was Kay. Um, it took a search and rescue uh, and the forensics team a week to gather all the stuff up. Um, so all this stuff, and they had to do their forensic stuff, and this guy just looked at it, and he knew who it was. So... He was back on the suspect list again. And then his story began to shift a bit. And now he had said that he had talked to her with her, uh, or he talked with her that morning, whereas before he just said that he drove by and he had seen her. And he also stated that he had found her remains just a couple months after her disappearance, but never came forward. And he said he was with his friend hunting coyotes, but it turns out they were poaching deer. And the investigators got sidelined by a confession of a convicted murderer. Which, I don't see how somebody could confess to this one. Um, Anyhow, but, so, John was out of the picture again. Oh my gosh. So next, he ends up getting married to a gal who had two kids. She had a young boy and a young daughter. That leads into our next victim. And it's not the mom or the son. Yuck. Which, this one is... I don't like this one. I don't like this. This is, uh, kind of makes my blood boil a little bit. So it seems he went quiet for a bit because this incident um, happened in 1990. So it was 1978 when he'd done that other one. Mm -hmm. Um, And the the girl's name was Rashonda Pickle, and she was only 13 years old. And they were living at the ODOT place where Highway 20 and 22 come together. yeah. Right there at that ODOT place on the side Uh of the road there. Um, It was like 30 miles to the closest store to get milk. And Rashonda, she was a good girl. She never strayed far from home. She helped out around the house, all that stuff. Um, but around the fifth grade, her friends at school noticed that she would always get nervous about the time school was uh, going to get out. 
and she was always wanting to go to their house or stay with them after school, well, to come find out the sick bastard was molesting her. And so it was morning of July 10th, and she got up early to help her mom get ready for work, uh, where she worked as a housekeeper at Black Butte Ranch. Mm. And after her mom and John left for work, she was in her PJs watching some cartoons, and her mom had left her a list of chores, um, and they weren't expected back till that afternoon. And John came back to the house that morning, and Rashonda was never seen again. And his story uh, was that he dropped her mom off at the ranch, and then he was going to go to the maintenance shop and bend and fix some snow plows. But he decided not to go in because uh, the parts hadn't arrived yet, so he was going to take the day off. But his supervisor had said there was plenty of work that would have kept him busy, which it kind of goes back talking to their supervisors and stuff. They said that he was always taking time off, um, but that was really their only complaint about him. He was always missing work. Mm-hmm. But he said that he got home and she was curled up on the couch. He invited her to go with him to photograph some deer. And she declined saying she needed to get uh, the chores done that her mom asked her to do. And probably because she didn't want to go in the woods alone with him. But uh, he said he left. And when he came back a couple hours later, she was gone. And it this is, I, I don't know. He didn't go to look for her. And he ended up picking up his wife from work, and she noticed that the girl wasn't playing around outside like she had been the day before, and the house didn't show any signs of a struggle, which you would think he would at least mention to, hey, the girl wasn't at the house, or Mm -hmm. something like that, you know what I mean? Um, She hadn't done her chores, and oddly enough, though, the mom didn't even really do a whole lot. Uh, What? Why would, what, what did she think happened? Where did she think the daughter went? She didn't know. So you're not going to, like, look for her or anything? Evidently not. Oh, my gosh. So it says they ate and then had sex, which was, uh, they had to point this out because looking back on it, it was odd because he had a really low libido at this point. And she thought that that was kind of odd that they would do that. I think it's kind of odd that they would do that that night, too. But he talked his wife out of calling the police till the next morning. Mm. Um, and the office even asked why she hadn't called earlier, and she said that she thought she had to wait 24 hours. Um, but they said not in the case of a missing child. So finally, the police swarmed the compound and started looking and investigating, and the prosecutor in Jefferson County wasn't surprised when John's name had come up, because he had read Aykroyd's file from the case of Kay Turner. So, the DA and a deputy, they headed out to Sandyham Junction, and they found John out painting the tailgate on his truck, and figured he was trying to cover his tracks. Uh, and he didn't seem panicked or anything. And he told the uh, he told the cops what her bra size was and her weight and all. But he couldn't remember her birthday. He's sick. Um, they also... Uh, I forgot what everything I researched on this. They also said he became sexually aroused when they showed him a pair of what they thought were her pants that they found in the woods. And he then spoke calmly about gruesome outcomes that could have come to the girl. What? Yeah, he gave all these. They said that he would invite, uh, like, people over to the house to watch scary movies, like Friday the 13th and stuff. And he would, like, the parts where they would kill, he'd, like, rewind it and play it back and rewind it and play it back. Weirdo. He's just a sick, sick bastard. So, um, anyhow, they questioned him pretty uh, directly. They got really direct with him, but it came to a call, uh, halt when he kept denying his any, that he had any involvement. So, how the story goes and how the research went, because I researched it all kind of linear, 
they went back to the Kay Turner case. And a detective was looking at old newspaper clippings and found that Beck, that's, that was John's buddy that he had supposedly gone out hunting with, mm-hmm. um, was now divorced from his wife. So the detective was allowed to drive to California and interview her. And she told him that in her original story, she was told to lie to the police about where they were at that morning. She said they actually left that morning to poach deer and didn't come back till the next day. And they were covered in blood and told her that they mistook Kay for a deer and accidentally shot her. And then they probed more and found out that they had actually raped her and killed her. And they would do the same to this gal if she told. Oh my gosh. So, uh, they were back on his case again and now it's 1992. And he and his wife had split. Uh, He moved back to Sweet Home with his mother and she moved off somewhere else. Uh, But now he'd gotten transferred out of Sandy M Junction um, because calls were coming in that he had made women nervous. No kidding. So instead of just getting rid of him, they transferred him to work out of Corvallis instead. And this is when we come in contact with our next two victims. And these girls were named Melissa Sanders and Sheila Swanson. And both of these girls were in their teens. They both had pretty rough backgrounds and were known to kind of indulge in drugs and alcohol. And they hung out at a local Sherry's where I guess a lot of teens would hang out. They said a lot of them would hang out there and talk on CBs and stuff like that. Well, John started hanging out there as well mm. with all the teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, no, they were unaware of the history that he had. But anyhow, the girls were on a summer camping trip to the coast with their family. And um, it's as soon as they got the chance, they dipped. They left. They wanted to be with their boyfriends or something. Which... I'm not going to victim shame, but they, I mean, you just dip out on your family when you're on a camping trip. Um, it seems they were with Melissa's parents, because uh, when they got up the next morning, the girl's tent was empty. So, again, instead of calling the police, they just assumed the girls had took off and gone home. Evidently, they had a history of doing things like that. So, when the family returned home at the end of the week, they found oh, the girls weren't there. So, so, then they called police, and... You know, this was before the days of cell phones and things like that. And Sheila's mom already knew that the girls hadn't shown back up, and she had started hanging missing posters up around uh, town in Lebanon, Mm -hmm. where they lived at. So around this time, a couple other state highway guys were hanging out at the shop in Sweet Home, and they had worked the night shift and were talking about, you know, they were just hanging out, getting ready for the night ahead. And this is where John would show up uh, and get his work truck and then... Uh, take off he'd drive his regular truck to work there Mm -hmm. and then he'd take his work truck and take off this night they noticed that it was weird because his personal truck was still in the lot and they sat there and they talked and pretty soon john pulled back into the lot and he got out of the truck and his sleeves were pulled up and his arms were covered in blood and one of the guys asked him what in the world happened and he said he'd hit a deer and had to gut it out but the guy asked him what he what did he do with the carcass and he said he threw it off in the brush which they thought that was kind of weird um, that he would just, he had to gut it out, but then he just throw it mm-hmm. off in the brush. But they really didn't talk to John uh, much anymore that night about it. He washed up and went home. Um, they mentioned it to their supervisor, but it never really went past that. But later that fall, they heard a news story that hunters had found the bodies of two girls that were along the stretch of highway that was on John's route. So uh, the guy that talked to him in the shop, his name was Laurent. Um, it got him thinking about that night and the encounter that he had with John. And uh, so, you know, he started talking. 
And it had only been a couple weeks after the girls went missing that John had been arrested and booked into the Jefferson County Jail in Madras. So he was already there. But when news came out about the girls uh, missing, John told a friend that they thought it was him. And the hunters hadn't even found their bodies yet. So that was kind of an odd thing to say. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. They hadn't even found... He... Yeah. The, they knew these girls were missing. Right. They hadn't found their bodies yet, but he's already going around saying that people thought it was him. Right. Um, uh, but he was right. They did think it was him. And they started digging more into his background, and they found that him and the girls knew a lot of the same people and whatnot. But he, again, he was good at covering his tracks, and they didn't really find any physical evidence to throw at him. So this case, again, went cold. But oh my gosh. Uh, then in 2012, the case got reopened again. Because there was a retired, uh, a new guy came in to work at Madras or something like that. And there was a retired detective and a legal assistant. Retired detective. A retired detective and a legal assistant that got assigned to it. And they started pouring through the evidence. And they made contact with a girl that had originally introduced John to the girls. And they also talked to his co-workers uh, about a rivet and a part of a seat cushion that were found at the scene of the crime. Because when they went out to ch- investigate those bodies of the two girls, mm-hmm. they found a rivet there, which they thought was kind of odd. And then they found part of the seat cushion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after talking to John's workers, they found out that he had access to both of these things. And then um, even after all these years, they were able to get a hold of the uh, Laurent guy mm-hmm. that had talked to him. And he recounted the tale of how he came to uh, work with his arms all bloody that night. Um, and this was four years into the investigation that when it got opened in mm-hmm. 2012, this detective and this gal, they had been running all this uh, stuff down. So John had gone to court in 1993 for the murder of Kay. And after all the evidence was uh, reported, uh, it took the jurors only four hours to find him guilty. Um, this idiot... He offered his hunting buddy as his alibi, but another jury had already found that guy guilty in the same case. Hmm. So, um, and the other guy, that Beck, he was hmm. done. He'd gone around bragging to people about killing her. Hmm. So they were both end up sentenced to life, but they would never fess up to it. And John would never fess up to any of it. And even when a cop met with him in prison in 2013, he still denied all of it. And... He included denying all the other mysterious women that went missing from Highway 20 around the same time. Um, they thought they found a. They go through this, and there's a list of, I don't know, like 15 or 20 other women that had gone missing along Highway 20 around that same time frame. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, they still did end up bringing the case of uh, Rashandra to court because uh, he was actually up. It's just amazing. He was actually up for possible parole unless they could get something else on him. So they brought the case of Rashandra up uh, up on him in, uh, in court so that he wouldn't get paroled. Right. And on that case, he pled no contest, which meant they could never try him for it, but he could never seek parole again. Mm-hmm. And they decided it would be too expensive to prosecute him for the other two girls since he would spend the rest of his life in prison anyhow. Um and another amazing thing about this whole deal is even though he was in prison, they still paid him his monthly pension from the road department. Oh They're paying him like two or $3,000 a month from the road department. Why didn't they give that to the victims? Well, because they really, they only had one for sure victim. 
And then the Rashondra girl that the, he pled no contest to, which I don't know that that makes you guilty. No, it makes or, you... Yeah. Um, so they only had the one victim, which I guess they could give it to her. But uh, anyhow, the happy part of the story is that uh, he died in his prison cell on December 30th of 2016. Oh. He died of uh, heart failure, I believe it was, because he's a big fat sucker. Oh, ew. Yeah. Because he had, uh, with all this money, he was kept buying stuff from the commissary in the uh, prison. Yeah. And he had all this crap in his cell. Which gets me to thinking again. That buddy of mine that's the lawyer, he when he was in the FBI, he had to go and uh, investigate some people at the... There's a Sherwood, uh, or there's a prison in Sherwood, Oregon. But it's like a white-collar prison. Mm. They don't send like... Well, he said, so you, you can get into this program at other prisons, right? And if you get good behavior and all this other crap, then you get sent to this prison? Mm-hmm. He said that prison has, like, lakes and stuff there. And you can sit at this, you know, it's like a Ritz-Carlton, basically, to staying at. Really? Well, what's the, why would anybody not want to go to prison? I mean, you go there, you get free food, you get room and board, you get free sex. Just That's disgusting. What well, happens? That's disgusting. It happens. I don't care. Don't need to talk about it. Well, I'm just because it pops into your brain doesn't mean you need to say it. I'm like that old gal on the Golden Girls. Remember the the mom of them all? She had that deal whenever anything just comes into her mind, it immediately comes out her mouth. Yeah. Sophia Sophia, yeah. You know, she was actually the youngest of all of them. Picture it. Sicily. Yeah. 1927. Yeah. But, uh, anyhow, uh... Well, can we have a happy podcast next time? Well, we'll do this. this. We'll we'll do the towns next time. This is very sad and disturbing to me. I won't sleep well tonight. To kind of tail onto another podcast, uh, the next time maybe you could get a happy ending. That's what they say on one of my other podcasts, because they go through all this doom and gloom, and then they have a happy story at the end. So what's your happy story? Well, I don't have one for this time, because you just now asked for it. Well, hey, we didn't have to let the dog out. That's pretty happy. Mm. Made me happy. Mm. So, yeah, that's the story of the women of Highway 20. Anybody what? want a rooster? Sir Henry needs to go to a new home. Did you see that other gal had, uh, what was his name, Roger the Rooster? Oh, no. I haven't yeah, seen Yeah, somebody him. else had a rooster that had to, they had to do the same thing with. Rehome him? Yeah. Did but, they find a home? Because I don't know. Some of the comments I said were making into a stew pot. So did you like this one? No. Maybe you could come up with an idea for us to do a podcast about. I don't like doom and gloom. I don't like killings. I don't like gross barbaric stuff. I like happy stuff, like sunsets and sunrises. Did you see the one this morning? Yeah. And everybody else did, too. Well, yeah. Uh, we were headed out to have a, a site-wide stand-down about a motivated event. Oh, yes. But anyhow, um, we, need to, we need some ideas for podcasts because I've only got one other one queued up. Yes, but please our, a happy one. Uh, co-host chose this one. No, I did not choose this one. 
Well, you kind of did. No, I didn't. Don't well, you said it would probably be, you're kind of intrigued about one that was sent in to us about a listener story. I didn't know it was going to be gross and disgusting. Well. I don't like gross and you disgusting. You got to take the good with the bad sometimes. No. A word and I are going to agree on this. Anyhow. Anyhow. Um, yeah, so send us some ideas. And uh, I hope our friend from Texas enjoys driving around in her uh, new rig. Mm-hmm. And I hope uh, anybody that cheered on the 49ers um, over the weekend gets a really bad infection. No, stop. Well, they don't have to die from it. Just have a disinfection and some, or an infection and some discomfort for a while. But the Eagles are playing the uh, Dallas Cowboys this weekend. Oh, no. Um, are you kidding me? But my madre won't be able to see the game because she'll be watching the NFR. Yeah. And so um, hopefully the Eagles can uh, pull this one off. And I was listening to a deal that they said that um, really it's not that big of a deal that the Eagles lost. Well, for a couple of reasons. One reason is because, like one of my buddies said, he said, so we lost a game. We went from being the top seed in the NFC to and having the best record in the league to becoming the top seed in the NFC and having the best record in the league. So they're still there. Mm-hmm. But they also said that nobody should expect the Eagles with the schedule that the Eagles have had this last part of the year. Because you think about it, they had the Kansas City Chiefs. They beat them. They had the Buffalo Bills. They beat them. They had the 49ers who just came off of a bye week, so they had a lot of rest, and they ended up getting beat. This week they're going to Dallas, which Dallas is – uh, coming off of a bye week, or no, they had a Thursday night game, yeah, I think. Thursday game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had a Thursday night game, so they've had an extended rest time. So it should be a good game, and they're playing in Dallas, which uh, kind of sucks. But hopefully, the Eagles will pull it out, and then they still have to play the Detroit Lions this year. Oh, I they have know. to play the Seattle Seahawks. The Lions. The Lions have been doing pretty good. Yes, they have been doing. Well. They're actually nine and three, I think. The uh, Eagles are ten and are. yeah, the Eagles are ten and two. And there's a bunch of teams that are nine and three right now. The wild card right last year in uh, the there was actually a team was it the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that won the NFC South and they had a losing record. Really? Or they were just barely over five hundred. And this year it doesn't look like you're going to get in unless you have like not you know like three or four losses. So right. Anyhow, uh, that is it for this one. I hope you guys enjoyed it more than our co-host did. And um, we will... Oh, and today uh, it's record high temperature for here, for this day in history. Mm-hmm. For us, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well. It was 61 degrees when I left work. Yeah. Yeah. In December for crying out loud. All right, everybody, take care of each other. Do something nice for somebody. If you can go to a holiday tree and pick a name off a tree, go do a senior citizen. Um, They get forgotten a lot. Um, Make a donation to your Humane Society of the Ocho Coast because they're pretty awesome. Oh, which I was going to show you a picture. They have puppies for sale at the Humane Society of the Ocho Coast or puppies to get rid of. And they said the mother is a... uh, I think it's a Malamute, Rottweiler, oh my Shepherd Cross. Good grief. And the father is a Corgi. What? So how did that even happen? Is it a fluffy butt dog? 
Because corgis no. have fluffy butts. I want to know the logistics of how that happened. I don't really care. Anywho. Anyhow. Okay. Well, have a good. It's evening. like seeing one of those pictures with a little tiny guy and this big gargantuan woman. Okay. Okay. Anywho. All right. Everybody have a good week, and we will see you on the next one. Okay. Bye.